Welcome to Immigration Review, your weekly source for immigration case law updates and insights. I'm your host, Kevin A. Gregg, back again to review the week's presidential immigration cases, rummaging through the decisions so you don't have to. This podcast is sponsored by Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, also known as KKTP, a law firm where I'm also a partner. Whether you are facing an immigration obstacle, a serious injury, or a legal issue in your business, KKTP will aggressively protect your best interests. This podcast is also sponsored by DocketWise, an all-in-one immigration forms and case management solution trusted by thousands of immigration lawyers across the U.S. I really like DocketWise. It makes immigration applications easy by allowing the clients to provide information through simple online questionnaires that are shareable by text or email and available in multiple languages. Not only that, DocketWise provides a comprehensive group of case management features, including invoicing and calendaring, secure messaging, task management, and a lot more. You can learn all about DocketWise and receive a 10% discount on your subscription by heading to docketwise.com immigration review so they know we sent you. And as always, this show does not constitute legal advice and has no bias other than to keep you up to date and to enable you, my dear colleagues, to excel in court. So, without further ado, let's start the review. When it rains, it pours, and when it doesn't, well, it doesn't. After seven published cases for the Valentine's Day weekend episode, we have only two this week, published on Thursday by the Ninth Circuit. One's a loss for non-citizens, and the other's pretty much a win, and both are interesting. Hope you enjoy. First is Chacon v. Wilkinson, published by the Ninth Circuit on February 18th, 2021. This case concludes that a conviction for importing, manufacturing, or dealing in firearms without a license, in violation of 18 U.S.C. section 922A1A, is categorically an aggravated felony. Here's why. Mr. Chacon was brought to the United States without authorization from El Salvador 20 years ago, at the age of 7. In 2016, he pled guilty to dealing in firearms without a license, in violation of section 922A1A and he was sentenced to 30 months incarceration. He was placed in removal proceedings, conceded removability, and applied for asylum and related relief. As relevant to this decision, the IJ and then the BIA denied asylum based on a finding that Section 922A1A was an aggravated felony, as defined at INA Section 101A43C, which defines as an aggravated felony illicit trafficking in firearms offenses. And, of course, an aggravated felony qualifies as a per se particularly serious crime that bars a non-citizen from asylum relief. So the IJ and then the BIA denied Mr. Chacon's asylum application. The Ninth Circuit affirmed, applying, as it must, the categorical approach, which requires a comparison of the criminal statute's elements with the elements of an illicit firearms trafficking aggravated felony. So. The crime, 18 U.S.C. section 922A1A, makes it unlawful for any person, quote, except a licensed importer, licensed manufacturer, or licensed dealer to engage in the business 
of importing, manufacturing, or dealing in firearms, or in the course of such business, to ship, transport, or receive any firearm in interstate or foreign commerce, end quote. The question for the Ninth Circuit here was, does everything I just said equate to the federal definition of illicit trafficking, as used under the aggravated felony provision? And the reason that's the question is because the aggravated felony provision at issue, INA Section 101A43C, only describes illicit trafficking in firearms. The Ninth Circuit agreed that the criminal statute in all cases met the federal definition of an aggravated felony. See, the BIA first defined the term illicit trafficking in its 1992 decision, Matter of Davis, albeit in the controlled substance context. In Matter of Davis, the BIA held that, quote, essential to the term trafficking, in this sense, is its business or merchant nature, the trading or dealing of goods, end quote. And even though Davis relied on the trafficking of controlled substances, the BIA relied on Matter of Davis in Mr. Chacon's underlying decision. So the Ninth Circuit reviewed Matter of Davis here and deferred to its reasonable interpretation of the word trafficking, pursuant to the Supreme Court's Chevron decision. And applying that definition of trafficking to the firearms aggravated felony, the Ninth Circuit held that Section 922A1A met it, because the crime punishes no less than, quote, any unlawful trading or dealing in firearms, end quote. The Ninth Circuit put great emphasis on the criminal statute's use of the word business to support its finding. And according to the Ninth Circuit, its decision here aligns with decisions out of the Second and First Circuits. So Mr. Chacon is deemed convicted of an aggravated felony, thereby precluding him from asylum. Here's one more tip. As the Ninth Circuit is expressly adopting the definition of the word trafficking from the drug context and using it in the firearms context here, it must also be adopting the drug trafficking exceptions. And, in line with decisions from numerous circuits and, I believe, the BIA itself, one of those exceptions is, at a minimum, for criminal statutes that allow for mere delivery of a drug or a gun, or in circumstances that don't require remuneration. And that's because, often, mere delivery has no commercial or business component. So, everyone, just like the drug crimes, a criminal statute that allows for conviction, or a realistic probability of conviction, where someone merely, say, delivers or gives a firearm to his or her friend without getting paid, will very likely not match the aggravated felony definition of illicit trafficking in firearms as used in this decision. And that is Chacon v. Wilkinson. Our second case is Naranjo Garcia v. Wilkinson, published again by the Ninth Circuit on February 18th, 2021. This is a case primarily about the nexus requirement under asylum law, specifically in mixed motive cases. Ms. Garcia is from Mexico and applied for asylum in immigration court, claiming that she was persecuted and feared persecution from the horrific drug cartel known as the Knights Templar. See, while in Mexico in 2012, the Knights Templar kidnapped Miss Garcia's husband in an effort to take the property he had inherited from his parents. They let him go when he agreed to sign over the lease to his house, which he then did, but he was murdered anyway, a month later. 
At the funeral, Miss Garcia accused the Knights Templar of the murder. A local cartel leader then threatened the lives of Miss Garcia and her children. After that, however, nothing happened to Miss Garcia for five years in Mexico. But then in August 2017, the cartel tried to recruit her 18-year-old son, and Miss Garcia stepped in and helped her son escape. At that point, the cartel told Miss Garcia that she had one month to leave herself. She entered the U.S. unlawfully, and shortly thereafter appeared before an IJ to bring her asylum claim, which she presented without the help of an attorney. The IJ found that Miss Garcia was credible, and that she had indeed suffered harm that rose to the level of past persecution, specifically the death threat after her husband's funeral, and the recent threat related to her son. But the IJ denied relief based on a nexus finding, concluding that the harm she had suffered wasn't on account of Miss Garcia's race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. The IJ also found that Miss Garcia had failed to establish that the Mexican government was unable or unwilling to protect her from the Knights Templar. Then, represented by what appears to be pro bono attorneys on appeal, Miss Garcia argued that in fact she had been persecuted on account of her membership in the particular social groups consisting of one, her family, and two, property owners. Important to this decision, the BIA assumed that both of those particular social groups were valid, but denied, again based on a nexus finding, i.e. that these groups were not at least one central reason for the persecution that Miss Garcia had suffered. And the Ninth Circuit vacated that nexus finding. The Ninth Circuit reminded that mixed motive persecution cases are accepted in the Ninth Circuit, and probably all circuits, and that in the Ninth, quote, it is sufficient under our mixed motive precedent for the petitioner to show that a protected ground was a cause for the persecutor's act, end quote. Fabulous. The court also reminded that, quote, an applicant's credible testimony as to the persecutor's motive may be sufficient to establish nexus, end quote. Nice. And so, too, quote, the timing of the persecution and statements by the persecutor may constitute circumstantial evidence of motive, end quote. All great quotes to remember. And so here, Miss Garcia's credible testimony showed that both her family membership and her status as a property owner in Mexico were a cause for the Knights Templar's actions. Indeed, without both of those statuses, Miss Garcia wouldn't have suffered the two persecutory death threats. Digging a bit deeper on family-based particular social groups, the Ninth Circuit stated that, quote, the line between animus, providing nexus, and purely personal retribution, no nexus, is a fine one, and the BIA's analysis ignores pertinent and uncontroverted evidence, end quote. Another excellent nexus quote to remember. So that's for asylum. The court then turned to withholding of removal, where it found that the BIA erred when it applied the one central reason nexus standard. That's the nexus standard for asylum. But in the Ninth Circuit, the proper nexus standard is the lessened one reason or just a reason standard. And that lessened standard for withholding of removal again aligns with the one applied in the Sixth Circuit earlier last year. And it should be argued nationwide. The Ninth Circuit found that the BIA had applied the wrong standard for withholding because the BIA said, as it always says, that, quote, 
As Ms. Garcia did not satisfy the lower standard of proof for asylum, it necessarily follows that she did not satisfy the more stringent standard for withholding of removal, end quote. But that's error in the Ninth and Sixth Circuit. Withholding and asylum have different nexus standards in those circuits. So, practitioners, when the BIA or the IJ makes statements like this one, as they always do, and at least with nexus, and at least in the Sixth and Ninth Circuits, the agency errs. Take note, my loyal cadre of EOIR attorney advisor listeners. So the Ninth Circuit remanded for further nexus analysis, both for asylum and for withholding of removal. It did, however, affirm the BIA's denial of Convention Against Torture protection. Congratulations, Sarah A. Nelson, a, quote, certified law student, end quote, from the University of Georgia Law School for arguing this case before the Ninth Circuit and winning for petitioners. Making us all feel inadequate, Miss Nelson. Here's some more. For those counting, and I intend to count, this now makes the second court, joining the Fourth Circuit last week, to issue a decision that appears to directly contradict then-Acting Attorney General Rosen's belief on what the Nexus standard requires in matter of A.B. II. Next, in a footnote, the Ninth Circuit noted Ms. Garcia's counsel's argument that, where a non-citizen is deemed credible like Ms. Garcia was, the Ninth Circuit should review the Nexus finding de novo rather than for substantial evidence. The Ninth Circuit didn't reach that issue here, but it appears that there's an intra-Ninth Circuit split on that issue and that standard of review. So keep making the argument in the Ninth Circuit, practitioners. Finally, I can't help but note that last week, a different Ninth Circuit panel rejected the particular social group of, quote, wealthy Mexican landowners, end quote, based on a finding that the record in that case didn't show that the group was distinct in Mexico. But of course, the BIA assumed that the group of Mexican property owners in this case was a valid particular social group. And in any event, different week, different panel. And that is Naranjo Garcia v. Wilkinson. So there you have it. You're all caught up with the past week's published immigration cases. I'm Kevin A. Gregg, a partner with the law firm Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, and this has been another episode of Immigration Review. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and rate and review us. Each review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, subscribe to Immigration Review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what we do and want to become a patron of the show, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash immigration review, or click on the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in an official immigration review CLE certificate for five credit hours, email me at kgreg at kktplaw.com with your full name and the episode numbers for the 10 shows you've listened to. Also, feel free to email me with questions, comments, or anything at all. And follow the show on Instagram and Facebook, at Immigration Review. And send us a tweet, at ImReview. That's I-M-M Review. I'll be back next Monday for a brand new discussion. Until then, I'm Kevin A. Gregg, bringing you the Immigration Review. Thank you.